How many of us know the story of Jonah? It's kind of a classic, right? If, if you don't know any of the other minor prophets, you know Jonah, right? Because what's Jonah famous for? Running away. What's the other thing we talk about a lot when we talk about the book of Jonah? The fish. Jonah and the whale. It's actually not a story about a whale. We talk a lot about Jonah and the fish because, you know, it's this big question mark. What kind of fish swallowed Jonah? Well, how is that even possible? You know, it's interesting. There's three other things within the story of Jonah that are appointed by God, and we don't spend a lot of time on them. He appoints a fish, he appoints a plant, he appoints a worm, and he appoints a, uh, a dry, hot wind. So there's actually four things. It's not just about the fish. It's about all of it. Well, the question I want us to think about today is from maybe a different perspective than we're used to, because we like talking about Jonah and his mission and the people he's going to. But who is the book of Jonah written to, and who is reading it? Who, who's it written to? Everybody. Us? Everybody? Originally, who's it written to? Israel. It's, it's, a, it's a book that, it was, it was written to inform Israel about something about God. It wasn't written to the Ninevites, just like next week, uh, Pastor Ben's gonna speak on the book of Nahum. That's kind of the polar opposite to Jonah, but it's all about the destruction of Nineveh, yet it's written, not to Nineveh, like they didn't like, okay, I got this prophecy and it's about Nineveh, so I'll put it in an envelope and stick it in the mail and hopefully it reaches Nineveh in time. It never went to Nineveh. It went to Israel. And Jonah is written as a text. This is different, okay? We have the text, we have the event, but the text is written to Israel to teach them something about God. And that's the main thing I want us to focus on today is what does this text teach us about God and how we should respond to him? Because Nineveh got it and Jonah didn't. And Nineveh got it and Israel did not. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read the story of Jonah, but Lord, help us to read the story of Jonah in the context of those who first read the story of Jonah and the purpose for which it was written to inform Israel, to inform God's people about who you are. And then, Lord, help us to live in the light of who you are in a way that maybe is different than the way Jonah lived that reality. And so, Lord, as we contemplate Jonah today, help us to hear your word as the Spirit wrote it for our instruction to teach us and to correct us and to lead us in righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. So the brief summary of the story of Jonah. <clears throat> Maybe I've been watching Jeff too much on Thursday nights. Uh, but the brief summary is that God comes and he says, go to Nineveh, arise, go to Nineveh, and preach against them. It's sin has come up against me, so you need to go and, and tell them. 
And Jonah says, forget that. Nineveh is northeast, I'm going southwest. I'm going the opposite direction. I'm gonna, and I, I'm gonna board a ship and I'm gonna head to Tarshish. And where that is, we're not quite sure, but it was probably Spain. Now, Nineveh is about 500 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Would have taken him a month to walk there anyway, but Jonah is heading, he is, and, he, and he hires a boat, and he's going to go the opposite direction, the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. In, in, uh, in the ancient Near Eastern thought, and in Israel's thought, this would have been the ends of the earth. I'm going to go as far away from the call of God as I possibly can. Now, Jonah was also, at that time, working as a prophet for King Jeroboam II. And things were going great. Israel and, and, and Judah were, were, actually, it was a pretty nice gig. But you want me to go where? Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time, who threatened Israel and Judah with absolute destruction, and eventually they would actually take the northern kingdom of Israel and utterly destroy it. You want me to go to that godless, heathen nation that, reject, that doesn't even know anything about you, that are our enemies? You really want me to be the chaplain to the Oilers? We're just going to keep poking that bear. <laughs> forget it. He's, Jonah's like, absolutely forget it. So he's abdicating his, his, his call as a prophet, and he is running from God, and he says this, I'm running from Yahweh. I am leaving the presence of the Lord. And so he gets on his ship, and they head out, and a great storm comes up, and everybody else is freaking out and working hard and praying to their gods while Jonah's asleep in the, in the, under, in the, in the boat. And how do you sleep in the midst of that? You're run, but he's just running from God. He will not be involved. He won't even pray as, as these pagans are praying to their gods. So the captain of the ship finally comes to him and says, hey, wake up, what are you doing? Uh, help us out and pray to your whatever God that you serve so, you know, Let's just make sure we cover all our bases. Maybe we can get out of this alive. But does Jonah pray at that point? No. Not, not even a pagan sailor can bring him to his senses. Not even a storm brings him to his senses. He just, you know, they throw lots and the lot falls on him and they're like, well, what did you do? See, he wouldn't even fess up until he was identified and he's like, well, I serve the God of Israel, the one true God who created the heavens and the earth and everything, and I'm running from him, so if you just huck me overboard, it'll be all good for you, and you can go on your way. You know, it's interesting. He doesn't say, you know what, just turn the ship around and take me back, and I'll walk in obedience to God. He says, I'd rather die. Throw me over. I would rather die than follow God's purposes for my life. And he says that three times in this book. He would rather die. So, eventually, so, so first of all, these sailors, they try to save the boat, right? They no, we're not going to do that. We need to save your life. They are really concerned about Jonah's life still. Interesting, because Jonah's not concerned about his life or anybody else's. He wanted all the Nineveh to be destroyed anyway. 
These pagan sailors are doing everything they can to save one man's life. Jonah won't save a whole city. Well, the story continues. They chuck him over and God sends a fish, swallows him up. Jonah prays this prayer and I call it the prayer of desperation. There's twice that Jonah prays in this book. It's when he's desperate enough and when he's angry enough. Those are the only two times he prays. He's desperate and he quotes a bunch of psalms. You can find almost all of this song in chapter two in the book of Psalms. And then the Lord doesn't even say, you know, this is out of mercy or anything. He just spits him up on the beach and says, okay, Jonah, one more time. Go to Nineveh and word for word, look at verse one in chapter one and verse one in chapter three. They're identical word for word. Arise, go to Nineveh, preach to that people. This time, he goes. Now, if he's anywhere on the banks of the Mediterranean where the ship was going, he still had a whole month of walking to get there. Like, Nineveh is way inland. It's not, you know, some of our storybooks and in the coloring pages we get in Sunday school, it's like, uh, Jonah got spit up on the beach and the next day he was in Nineveh. No, it took him a long time to get there and he had to process all of that. There's a lot of gap here. He gets to Nineveh and what does he say? 40 days and Nineveh is destroyed. That's his message. That's it. Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew. You would like that, wouldn't you? Pastor gets up here, I have a message for you today. Five words, amen, go home. I read an article yesterday, uh, uh, some research I think by the Barna Group that uh, the average... Uh, the average sermon length is about 37 minutes across all different traditions. Uh, like uh, Catholic and Lutheran, it's about 10 to 15 minutes. And uh, if you get into like the, the, uh, the uh, African-American church, it's about an hour or so because they also do a lot of call and response and they have a lot of fun during their sermons. Uh, they're not necessarily longer in content. And then just the average Protestant uh, church is about 35 minutes. So, and about 5,500 words on average. Jonah's down to five. Yet 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. Yet 40 days. Yet 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. Yeah, there's five. That's all he says. He doesn't tell them how to get back. He doesn't tell them who to call out to. He doesn't tell them how it might be destroyed. He probably doesn't know anyway. Is it an invasion? Is it a, is it a, you know, is it a supernatural? Is it a natural disaster? But he doesn't call them to repent. They figure that out on their own. And it says he only goes one day, you know, by the time he's one day in, he kind of has already kind of exhausted his stuff and, uh, and he goes up on a hill to watch what's going to happen. Now what happens in the middle of that is that the king of Nineveh hears it and he calls for everybody to fast and to pray, including the cattle. I don't know, how would that work out if you had to round up your herd and put them in sackcloth and make them uh, pray in, in, 
This is a little over the top. It's kind of, uh, again, prophetic hyperbole. Like even the livestock are repenting here. And they're praying to God. Notice, notice this. If you, if you look through, you know, Yahweh does this. The Lord, the Lord, the capital, the capital. And then you get to, to Nineveh's, and, and they're just crying out to Elohim, which is a very generic name for God. All the religions used El, Eloha, El, Elohim. It's, it's just a Canaanite. The, the whole world kind of had this El kind of God thing. So it's a very generic God, they're just calling, and Elohim actually is plural in Hebrew, so translating it God or gods is all dependent on context. They're just crying out, and they're not even certain that this will work, right? Perhaps, maybe, he will relent. And God looks down, and he sees their repentance, and he calls off the destruction They didn't know a lot about God. They didn't know about Yahweh. Jonah didn't bother to fill them in on anything. <clears throat> but God sees the hearts of the people and he turns to them in grace and mercy. And how does Jonah respond? Chapter four. <clears throat> Start in chapter three, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Wow. Hmm. Why was he angry? And he prayed, second prayer, to the Lord, and he said, oh Lord, is this not what I said to you when I was in my own country? Now we're getting the reason why Jonah left. Why he didn't want to do the ministry. Why he didn't want to go on the mission. It wasn't because Nineveh was bad, it was because he knew exactly who God was. Is this not what I said yet in my own country? That this is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish, for I knew that you are a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I knew you were gracious, I knew you were merciful, I knew you would, I knew you would relent from this disaster, I knew you wouldn't do that. So just kill me now. Interesting, Jonah had his theology right, but his heart was totally wrong. You can have your theology 100% spot on and yet be so far from God. He's quoting what? Exodus chapter 32, 33, where God reveals himself to Moses because Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God passes by him and announces Yahweh, Yahweh, God merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and goodness, forgiving sins and iniquities and not holding it against people. And here is God living that out. And Jonah just says, I'd rather die than see that happen to people I don't like. Second time, he just says, I'd rather die than watch you be gracious to people who I think don't deserve it. 
God may be gracious to people you don't think deserve it. <laughs> he may extend grace to a group of people that you just go, I can't believe they're not just dying and burning in hell. Because that's what we want for our enemies. That's what we want for people who disagree with us. You know, it's a shocking thing, but God may be at work in the Democrats or the Republicans or the liberals or the conservatives or the People's Party or the NDP. He may even be at work in the Green Party. There's not many of them, so. And there may be followers of Jesus in any single one of those groups, no matter how much you disagree with them. And God may still be at work in Russia and North Korea and China and Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and the places where you think, nope, God should just wipe them off the face of the map. I knew, I knew you were a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Oh, he had his theology spot on. He knew exactly what the character of God was like. But it didn't move him to worship. It led him to resentment and anger and bitterness. And he just wanted to die. And the Lord just asked him a question. I love this. Here's Jonah just ranting and God's just like, are you done yet? Do you have a right to be angry? And he just leaves Jonah with that. You know, I, I love this part too because we see the character of God in how he treats Jonah. Right? Jonah is running. He is just fleeing. God's like, okay, into the, in, into the ocean with you. Fish, pick them up. Spit them out. Let's try again. No, you don't like the way I did that? You don't like the way I had mercy on people? Let's just think about that for a moment. So Jonah goes up on a hill and he builds a shelter. And, and most commentators say there's not much there to build a shelter, like no roof. Uh, you can kind of build up a little shelter with rocks and maybe a few sticks, but there's not much there as far as anything to, to, to really close it in. So God appoints a plant to come up and give him shade from the heat of the sun, and Jonah's like, oh, this is so awesome. And like, it grows up quick, so he's like, God is taking care of me, this is so awesome. And then that night God appoints a worm, same word, he appoints a worm. The worm eats around, you know, probably the bark of the little plant that's been, he's just been rejoicing in and the plant dies. And then Jonah's again like, ah, just kill me now. It's like, wow. And so, so this is where it goes. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade him over his head to save him from the discomfort the discomfort of just hanging out in the hot sun. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now put that up against 
The, the other verse in verse one, he was exceedingly angry because of God's grace. Now he's exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant, so it withered and the sun rose and God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And now the conclusion. But God said to Jonah, do you be, do well to be angry at, uh, for the plant? Right, after, after the first time, it's the same question, verse four. Do you do well to be angry that I am gracious and loving and have extended grace to Nineveh? Now he's saying, do you do well to be angry that the plant died just because it gave you shade? And he said, yes. Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And that's the last words of Jonah. Throw me into the sea. I'd rather die than fulfill God's purposes. I see God's purpose and I see his character on display and I just want to die. I don't want to see Nineveh saved. And now I'm sitting here in the hot sun and I just want to die. So here's the conclusion. And then the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The end. Interesting, there's only two books of the Bible or the two of the prophets that end with a question. It's Jonah and Nahum that we'll hear next week. Should I not pity Nineveh? You, you pitied this plant. You, 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 felt, you felt deep indignation over the death of this plant. Should I not have a deep heart response to Nineveh, this great city with more than 120,000 persons who don't know, don't know the right from the left? And, some scholars just think that that's just because they, they didn't know anything about God or, or, or Yahweh or his word, didn't have any revelation. And so this is kind of a total number of people. Uh, some scholars believe that this is referring to infants. Either way, it's a lot of people that God said, I'm, I'm gonna relent from the disaster. And I'm gonna be gracious. And shouldn't you just celebrate the fact that I am gracious and loving and kind? I saved you from drowning. I saved you from the heat. I have spoken directly to you. I, I have given you my revelation. You grew up in a place that, that knew the word of God and had the prophets. You had all these prophets. You had all this revelation. You had the Torah from Moses. You had the temple and everything. And this is the message to Israel. It's the same message to Moses. I have given you so much. Return to me. Return to me. You, last week we talked about the repentance thing. This is what this book is doing for Israel. It's saying it doesn't take much. 
It doesn't take much to return to God and to experience his forgiveness and his restoration. The prophets have been saying over and over again, if you don't return to me, then Assyria is gonna come and attack and destroy you and Babylon is gonna come and attack and destroy you and there's gonna be exile and things are gonna get nasty. And I have given you all the prophets, the, the revelation, the, the, the Torah, the experience of the Exodus. I have been with you and I have been speaking to you over and over again. Would you please listen to me? And so what is this text trying to get Israel to do? Simply come back to God. Because it doesn't take much. The Ninevites didn't have a robust theology, only a message of doom, and they called on Elohim and he responded. They responded as best they could and it was enough. We don't have to have it all together to call out to God and to receive his mercy. Think of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verses 25 to 32, a young man goes and he doesn't want anything to do with the father and he goes and wastes his life on wild living and he, he takes his share of the inheritance and he spends it all and then he comes back and he's like, I just want to be a hired man. But as soon as the father sees him coming a long way off, the father runs to him and embraces him and kisses him and puts a robe on him and gives him a, a ring on his finger that says, you are fully back as my son and then he throws a big party for him. And this is the God we're seeing in Jonah. A God who sees a a, a glimmer of repentance and runs to meet us and welcome us home. But in Jonah, we also see the older brother. And it's Jonah. Jonah's like, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you welcomed them home. I can't believe you didn't just kick him out and say, you have no, you you already spent your inheritance. Get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. You are dead to me. And yet the father pursues the older brother as he pursues Jonah. Shouldn't I have mercy on Nineveh, this city? Shouldn't we celebrate your brother has returned? Come join the party. Come celebrate with us. And the book of Jonah ends in a question and the parable of the good Samaritan, the two lost sons, ends on a cliffhanger too. Will that older son join the party or will he still be stubborn and wait and be bitter? Bitter that his father was merciful and loving, and restoring the younger son. And Jesus tells a parable in John chapter 15, because the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, those who had the Torah, the temple, the prophets, who could study the word of God day and night, hated the fact that Jesus was spending time with sinners and tax collectors. They couldn't stand the fact that he was saying the kingdom belongs to such as these. That's Jonah's message for Israel. God's grace reaches past everything. Everything you've ever done, anything that anybody's ever done, 
and it goes beyond your categories and it goes beyond your boundaries and it goes to those who you think shouldn't be be included in the family of God. Another disturbing thing I read this week is, and this is in the United States and I don't doubt this is gonna have an impact in Canada, but 46% of people in the United States who go to evangelical churches are now choosing which church to go to based on political affiliation. rather than on the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus says, no sign will be given this generation except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up and judge this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said, I'm greater than Jonah and my message is greater than Jonah's and my mission is bigger than Jonah's. Jesus has a greater message. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save it through him. What was Jonah's message? You're all gonna die. Hope it happens. Mad that it didn't. Jesus had a greater message. Jesus also came with an obedient heart to the will of the Father. And he did not despair and go into death bitter and angry, but he became obedient to death to fulfill God's purposes, not to try to escape them. Jonah wanted to escape God's purposes, and he said, I'd rather die than see you be gracious. And Jesus said, I will die and in that I am gracious. Jonah wished judgment on the lost. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Jonah walked in grudging obedience to God's command, but he did so with no love and no compassion. And he even had his theology about God's character right. Jesus, when he came, looked at the enemies of God and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. One greater than Jonah is here. And he is waiting for just one glimmer of our repentance of turning to him and he will run to us and welcome us home and restore us. It's all it takes. Lord, this morning, the book of Jonah calls to the people of God. It's written to the people of God to tell them that even the people you think are the farthest away from me are not that far. 
And Jonah got it right. I am a God of compassion and mercy and loving kindness, and I will relent from disaster. Jonah got the theology right, but just as 1 Corinthians 13, he did it without love, and therefore he was just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And all he could preach was doom. He couldn't preach life. And all he wanted was death. Lord, your mercy is beyond our comprehension. Your love goes beyond what we could even imagine. You desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You loved the whole world and sent your son into the world to save the world. And so, Lord, and wherever we're at today, help us to take just that one step. No matter where we're at in our understanding of the Bible and theology, maybe we know too much. Maybe we're like Jonah and we just, we use our theology as a weapon, but we don't use it out of love. Convict our hearts today of that and turn us back to you. That when you save the people we think are the least savable, We wouldn't question it. We wouldn't doubt it. We wouldn't be bitter about it. We would celebrate the amazing, sometimes annoying grace of God. Sometimes we get angry and mad because other people experience the grace of God and that just shows us that we have way too high a view of ourselves and really our pride is getting in the way. And so, Lord, humble us. Humble us like you had to humble Jonah. But, Lord, in the midst of that, help us to respond way better than Jonah. The most reluctant, bitter, angry prophet sent to the enemies of Israel who repented and found favor Lord, may we hear from your Son and from your Word and through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit your call that you love us and you want us to come home and help us to reach out to you because you're not that far from any one of us. And then, Lord, help us to celebrate your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.